thus says the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know, you shall run to you. you, shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Church, pray with me. Holy Spirit, we are coming to you through your word, asking for you to do a work in us that only you can do. We thank you for inspiring every word that we just read. We ask that you would use it for your honor and glory in our lives to change us more into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. As you're seated, I'm going to go ahead and give you the main idea for this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down as I begin. Our main idea this morning, we must show compassion by distributing God's word. We must show compassion by distributing God's word. I'm going to give some real brief context on this passage. The book of Isaiah is a book of promised judgment and salvation. And unfortunately, the judgment would come before the salvation. Israel would experience this. It was promised. But the good news is that their judgment is not the same as the final judgment. It is a small judgment And it is intended to point forward to a future judgment that is permanent. God's message for Isaiah is for Israel and the rest of the world to turn back to the Lord in order to be saved from future judgment. There are some other purposes in the book, but this is enough to set up our passage this morning. So in chapter 55, God has already spoken of the suffering servant back in chapters 52 and 53. They point forward to Jesus. 
God is telling Israel there is a way out. Though it seems bleak, there is a way out. And chapter 55 spells out that hope by exalting God's compassion and explaining how God demonstrates it. So this morning, real briefly, I'm going to give you four ways that we see the compassion of the Lord given out through his word here in Isaiah chapter 55. And we'll end by flipping forward to Romans 10 to see our part in these things. Number one, God shows compassion through his corrective calling. God shows compassion through his corrective calling. If you look at verses 1 through 7, it begins with this invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. God is calling us forward. This is an invitation for us to come forward. The invitation is both out of something and into something. When we are saved as Christians, we are saved out of a former life and into a new life. We are saved out of a former community, the world, and into a new community, God's body, the church. We are saved out of a way of thinking and speaking and into a way of thinking and speaking. His calling is a corrective calling. There are some who call into question God's goodness and compassion because of the judgment language in the Old Testament. And this is especially true in the prophets. The accusation goes something like this. Well, God isn't loving. Look at how much he scolds Israel and these peoples and these nations. And he lays waste to them in the Old Testament. This is surely a different, hateful God. However... Compassion makes no sense if it is not presented in light of judgment. When my kids do something wrong, I get an amazing opportunity sometimes to show compassion and mercy instead of judgment and punishment. This doesn't happen every time. Sometimes punishment is very necessary. But sometimes I get this golden opportunity. I want you to just imagine what I might be communicating to my children if I show them mercy and compassion without framing it in the context of what they've done wrong. What might I be communicating? The context is important. Without that context, my compassion and mercy is not actually compassion and mercy. Suddenly, it becomes endorsement, enablement. I let them go scot-free without the intent of correction. They don't see the need for it. The reason that God shows compassion is because his ultimate desire is correction. God doesn't just want people in these countries around the world to get a little Gideon Bible and say, oh great, I have one, wonderful, everything's okay. He wants them to open it and to read it and to turn to him and to be saved. That's his intent. That's the purpose. He wants people to repent, change direction, this is why we hear Jesus use words like this from John 5, 14. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Isn't that curious? Jesus heals a man, and then instead of saying, okay, go, enjoy life, he says, you are well, praise God. Now, go and sin no more. It is a corrective calling. 
Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 2 verse 4. He asks this question, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness, His kindness, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So God shows kindness to us, not just that we might be forgiven, but that we might be turned, that we might be changed, set in a new direction. What we have here in Isaiah 55 is a perfect example of God's compassion. Though Israel has committed grave sins against the Lord, here's what he says to them. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is God's compassion. Though we're in debt due to our sin, God freely gives us living water. He says, come and buy even though you can't. You don't deserve it. Come and buy. He is freely distributing it without cost. The command by God here isn't to do in order to earn. It's simply to come that you may be changed. And that's why in verse 7, God calls those. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. God wants us to know that even though we don't have to pay, there is a cost. It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. It's beautifully ironic. It means that we can't earn God's compassion. We can't pay for it in that sense. But it will take something from us. We can't earn this through right living. We simply come. But when we come, God will begin taking away our wrong living. There was a cost when I came to faith. I didn't pay a dime. I didn't earn it. But God took something from me. And I'm so glad he did. Maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about this morning. God desires to deeply change you. He doesn't want you to continue living a life apart from him and using your money, like in verse 2, on, on things that are not bread, things that can't satisfy. In another place in Scripture, he refers to it as the hollowing out of these cisterns that cannot hold water. God wants you to be different, and you cannot do this on your own. Only he does it through his corrective calling. That's the first way he shows compassion. Number two, God shows compassion in otherworldly ways. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now the way God shows compassion is different than the way that we often show compassion. In fact, a lot of times we show no compassion when someone wrongs us. We want to make sure that that wrong is paid for in full. Now, not later. That's why one of the things our country is known for around the world is our lawsuits. Other countries mock us and laugh at us. Because we got to make sure we get ahead. I'm not going to be cheated. Yeah. 
This exposes an error in our thought processes. We're thinking more in terms, even in our compassion, of how we have been impacted, and we're not always thinking about the individual that wronged us. We don't want to show them compassion. They've done something to me. When the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, it means that God is going to act and think in ways that we would never act and think. We're going to see what he does or what he thinks in his word, and we're going to think, God, I think you're wrong. I wouldn't do that. And we're going to be tempted to sit in judgment over God. Listen carefully. It's not just that God thinks and acts differently than us. He thinks and acts better than we do. When we find that God thinks and acts differently than us, our instinct response should be, I'm wrong. I don't know how I'm wrong, and I think I'm right, but obviously I'm not because I see something different here. We are subjecting ourselves and placing ourselves underneath the Word of God to receive correction. But sometimes the temptation is to lower that. And now I am sitting in judgment over God's Word. His ways are so much higher than our ways. They're not just different. They are divine. How does God show compassion and forgiveness? He pays for crimes he didn't commit for a people who will continue to sin even after being forgiven. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Isn't it fantastic? Isn't that fantastic? Yes. You are going to continue to sin when you walk out this door, and God has still already laid all of your sins on Jesus. How can we not be just overwhelmed by this news? We've become jaded. I was praying with some of the choir members before church, and Kristen came in. I was reading from Psalm 116 about God's mercy, and we were praying. And I, all, I kept it together, but I almost started crying in the middle of the prayer. And we finish up, and we're walking out, and Kristen asks me a question. And she says, Dad, why are you crying? I wanted to say, I'm not crying. <laughs> you know. Because when I read God's mercy, I can't help but think about the fact that I don't deserve it. I never will. And you never will either. And you won't appreciate his compassion until you appreciate the fact that you don't deserve it. It is otherworldly. It makes no sense. Church, this means that there's going to be times that you don't understand what or why God is doing what he's doing. Do not make the mistake in sitting in judgment over God. Recognize that you are not God. By definition, you will never perfectly understand his ways or thoughts, or else you would be God. Or he would be a man. That's the only two possibilities. This sets up our next point in the next two verses. Number three, God shows compassion by sending his effective word. 
God shows compassion by sending his effective word. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We are not God. God is transcendent. He is far above us. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Therefore, we've talked about this recently, we need God to reveal himself to us if we are to know him as he truly is. Because he is inaccessible to us, we can never know anything about him unless he chooses to step into time and reveal himself to us. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has revealed to us God. He is the living word in John chapter 1. This is the way that God has chosen to communicate to us. Now, for our purposes this morning, we need to notice something interesting about God's word here. It says, as the rain and the snow come down, and do not return, but water, bringing these different effects... Verse 11, so shall my word be. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish. God's word is effective. This book isn't living in the sense that I'm living, but this book is living in a higher sense of that word. It isn't breathing right now. I can't hear a heartbeat, but this Word is actively working and changing lives. Even right now as we hear it preached, something mysterious is happening. God is taking his word into our hearts and using it to change us. It is like a fountain that will never run dry. It's effective. There is no category for understanding this book as being ineffective. That category doesn't exist. God's word accomplishes his purposes. And I want you to notice in this verse, in verse 11 here, it says nothing about my desires. It accomplishes his purposes. Sometimes God's word accomplishes something that is against my desire, but at the same time according to his purpose. And we might look at God's word and say, see, it's ineffective. It didn't do what I wanted it to do. It's not God's word that's defective in that moment. It's our hearts. Well, what about when we share God's word with someone and that person does not come to faith in Christ? What about those individuals who smoke through the whole New Testament and they don't read it? Was God's word not effective? If you define effective in the term of your desire, then yes. But God's word does not always lead to salvation, or else what would be true? Every person in Gina right now would be in a church building somewhere, but they're not. Sometimes God's word is effective in a different way. Sometimes it leads to condemnation. There will be those who hear God's word and reject it. Hear me say this this morning. 
God's word, even in that moment, is still accomplishing something in that person's life. Even to the one who rejects it. In that moment, what is it bringing about? Condemnation. They have heard the truth and they've said, I reject that. That's still effective. Just not in the way that we want in that moment. The hope is that this condemnation might one day, through the continual planting of God's word, lead to someone's salvation. But the point is that even when we don't know how or why this book is working, we can at least know that it is always doing something. What this means is that when we think someone's going to reject our message, we shouldn't hold back and say, I'm not going to share it then. Because that's what we do sometimes. They're not going to respond. I'm just not even going to share it. What you're saying in that moment is, I don't believe that God has a purpose for the sharing of his word right now. We know that's not true. It is always effective. Number four, God shows compassion through human vessels. Verses 12 and 13, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Listen to this terminology carefully. We're fixing to come back to it in just a moment. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. These verses are where they are on purpose, obviously. After God's word has worked in those who come to God, this is the result. They go out in joy. And the imagery here is of a modern day musical. I detest musicals. I detest them. Someone walks in a barbershop to get their hair cut. I know I see wide open mouths. Look, they're the worst. I wouldn't hate them if they weren't the worst, but they are. So someone goes into a barbershop, they're getting their hair cut, and what do they start doing? They start singing. And the barber's singing and running around cutting their hair. That, that is ridiculous. I know some of you love it. Look, my wife loves it. She's one of the ones like, okay, I get it. That is the imagery of what we see here. Someone has been changed by God's word, and they're going out in peace and having joy, and it's like flowers and trees are springing up everywhere they go. It's like the landscape is changing in a positive way because they've been changed by the word, and God is sending it out through a vessel, and everything is changing according to it. The point is that the person who has received compassion suddenly becomes a chief exporter of compassion. That compassion manifests itself through joy, and the result of all of that is creation praising God. As we are faithful with the ministry of the word that he's given us, we hear testimonies like Edwin shared with us this morning, Brother Edwin, of people coming back and saying, hey, so many years ago, you gave me a Gideon Bible and you don't even remember it. But let me tell you what has happened. This verse is coming to, f to fruition in that moment. This is happening. People are going out in joy and then sharing God's word and then they are coming back later and then they are stepping out in joy and it's a perpetual cycle. How does that cycle stop when we stop? We must not stop. And it's right here that I'm going to go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10, we're just going to look through a couple of verses real quick. If you'd like to turn there and follow along, if not, you can go back and look at this a little bit later. Romans chapter 10, it'll be a very familiar verse. I'm going to read verses 11 through 17 real quick. 
For, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's the line of thought. Everyone who calls out to God will be saved. Well, they can't call if they don't believe. How are they going to believe? They can't believe if they don't know what to believe. How are they going to know what to believe? They can't know that unless they're told. Well, how are they going to be told? They can't be told unless someone is sent. So in summary, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As we go out with this message, people hear what to believe. They say, oh, I believe that. Faith happens, trust happens. They call out upon the Lord and then they're saved. What if we take this out of the equation? There is no more herald. There is no more news. There is no more belief. There is no more calling out upon the Lord. We have got to get this message out to the nations. We have got to get this out. The whole world needs to hear this. So we must send it out. You may think everybody has a Bible. That's because you live in Gina, Louisiana. But I'll tell you, even everyone here is not saved, not even close to it. But the Gideons reach far farther than Gina, Louisiana. They go to countries where there is a hunger and a thirst for the word, and they give it out like candy. We're not naive, and they're not naive. Not everyone who grabs one of those Bibles comes to know the Lord. Some do. Isn't that worth it? Isn't that worth? Isn't someone else's soul for eternity worth it? Yeah, but look at all the Bibles we wasted. What are you... It's a soul. It's a soul for eternity. Now, it's not a coincidence that in this passage, Paul talks about the beautiful feet that bring the good news. This is a reference back to Isaiah 52, 7. And I'm going to read this. You don't need to turn here. I'm going to read it for you. And I want you to remember the, the language earlier from Isaiah 55. Listen to this. Isaiah 52, and then I'm going to wrap this thing up. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day when they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. 
only three chapters later in Isaiah 55, right after speaking about the effectiveness of God's word, Isaiah speaks about the mountain singing and joy in the name of the Lord being exalted. All of this is tied together, church. How does this happen? It happens when we send those with the good news to the world. They must be sent out. This morning, you will not all get an opportunity to hand a Bible to a little child in another country or even in this country who has a desperate need. Some of you may get to do that one day. Most of you probably will not. Let me tell you who's doing that every day around the world. Our brothers, the Gideons. Daily. What was it he said this morning, Brother Edwin? Every four days, something about a million Bibles every four days. That's the kind of thing I want to be behind. Even if 99% of those don't lead to anything, I'll take 10,000 salvations. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) So church, what do we do? We are to show compassion the way that our God shows compassion by sending out his effective word. It is compassionate, despite what the world tells us. It is compassionate to call others to repentance. To label wrong wrong is compassionate. It is compassionate to proclaim God's word to a world that just doesn't get it. And we do this because this word is effective and it will lead to God's glory among those who are being saved. So let us model the compassion of our God by making this our business and our life for the honor and glory of our King. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a powerful God whose ways are infinitely higher than our ways and whose thoughts are infinitely higher than our thoughts. We thank you that you have given yourself for us as a ransom and a sacrifice to redeem us from the weight and the penalty of our sin, from its power in our lives. Lord, please continue to transform us by the renewing of our minds through your word. Please bless our brothers, the Gideons, as they continue to purchase Bibles and distribute them to the nations that many might call upon you and be saved. Lord, use us not just as a financial backing, though certainly not less than that, but use us as individuals. Send us out that we might preach and proclaim the good news to our neighbors and our family members and our friends, that they might know what to believe, that you might call them to salvation, that they might give themselves wholly unto you, and they might call upon you and be saved buying from you that which they cannot afford. Lord, we ask you to do all these things according to the promise of your word. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our God and King, amen.